Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Defending the Faith, as we look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, and a message entitled, Is Christianity Intolerant? Well, let's join Dr. Newfeld now. Some years ago, in an insightful article, Daniel Taylor wrote, and I quote, It is the only sin left. It is the pariah sin, the charge that makes you into an untouchable without need for further explanation. The sin is intolerance. Now, I'm not always clear about what is meant when the word intolerance is being used. That's because the word tolerance has a wide range of meanings. In engineering, tolerance has to do with load limits, that is, how much weight will a structure bear? Whatever it can bear is called its tolerance limit. In medicine, tolerance is the ability of the body to endure something. So, for instance, if you've developed a tolerance to painkillers, you've become unresponsive to them. They're not going to work for you anymore. You tolerate them so that they will no longer affect you. In all manner of fields of endeavor, Tolerance was related to the range of variation permitted. That is, there is a tolerance or a range of difference in which a piece of machinery is going to work. Once beyond that range, it just won't. Tolerance. But in modern thinking, tolerance is the ability to make room for beliefs that are opposed to one's own convictions. Here's an easy example. In the olden days, we might say that an Anglican might tolerate a Baptist. And that's to say, even though the Baptist has a different view of baptism and, let's say, church leadership and structure, yet an Anglican's view of the Christian faith might tolerate or make room for a view with which they might disagree. That is, there are still enough similarities to allow for tolerance of one another. That is, you still have genuine Christianity. Now, that idea gets transplanted into the modern world and, therefore, tolerance gets stretched a lot further. You see, we now live alongside of people with vastly different religions and belief systems and ethical choices. You know, if the term tolerance is applied in our pluralistic culture, it would mean that we make room for a view with which we disagree. And that would include sexual choices, beliefs about gender, understanding what constitutes family, the kind of God people want to worship or their rejection of any God at all, the clothes and the tattoos or the lack of them that they want to wear. But just like the example I've given about engineering load limits, all tolerances have outer limits, stressors that they will not bear. You see, I don't see a great deal of tolerance for wife beaters or for Holocaust deniers or for child pornographers, or for that matter, the definition of marriage that comes from Bountiful BC, where one community elder is married to, you know, some 20 women. It seems that we have a load limit, and tolerance quickly gives way to intolerance. So it seems clear to me that no culture in human history, including our own, is tolerant of everything. Imagine, if you will, a soccer net with two goalposts and a crossbar. See, contrast that to a hockey net with its goalposts and crossbar. See, one is definitely narrower than the other. And in truth, all cultures have certain things that they will tolerate and other things that they won't. See, what differs is how wide the goalposts are permitted to be. They narrow or widen depending upon the culture and the values that we have. So, in truth, what constitutes tolerance and intolerance in any culture has everything to do with the width of your goalposts. And truth be told, there are a great many reasons why Christians have been labeled intolerant. 
You see, in our culture, it, it looks to many people that, that we Christians have constructed a hockey goal, you know, six feet across, on a field that requires a soccer goal, 24 feet across. Or maybe here's even a better example. In football, all you have to do is run the ball across the end zone within the boundaries. It's a difference between a narrow hockey goal of six feet and a Canadian football field of 190 feet across. Culture tolerates so much more. In Western culture, Christians are just too narrow. And in being too narrow, we are viewed as intolerant and extreme and hateful and unwilling to accept others. Furthermore, in Western culture, there's a worldview that's simply a doctrine. And the idea is of a progressively evolving and improving society. So whenever you point out social and religious differences from, let's say, 50 years ago and compare them to today, well, the assumption is immediate. We have progressed, they say, in favorable ways in 50 years. We legalize marijuana. We're going to say to those who disagree, thankfully, you're not living in the 1950s anymore. You know, the same is true about a number of other changes. Whenever change occurs, most in our culture believe that it's progress. And against this background of a bedrock belief in social progress, ever a better society is the seemingly unmovable Christian Bible. Jude 3 speaks of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And because of this, we're always going to seem intolerant. You know, for one, we believe John 3:36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That seems like a very narrow set of goalposts. And furthermore, we believe that Christ mandates our behavior. Listen to Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, the goalposts are narrow. And Jesus himself affirms that. Listen to his words in Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to eternal life. And those who find it are few. And then if that were not enough, Jesus gives examples of that very principle. So, for instance, listen to Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's but one example of Jesus' rather limited tolerance limit. He demanded absolute loyalty. and even said it's recorded in John 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And from this comes the charge of intolerance. That's because we believe that you can't get right with God without Jesus. For another, we believe every sexual act not confined to marriage of one man to one woman, well, that's sin. And it's really those two things, the exclusive claims of Christianity and our unwillingness to bless the many and varied forms of sexual expression, especially homosexuality, that has earned us the reputation of being intolerant. But truth be told, we as Christians object to a great many things. For those who think that we're fixated on the issue of homosexuality, let me suggest that that Christians think that a failure to love God with, with heart, mind, and soul, and strength, well, that's the greatest of all sins. Furthermore, the Bible in Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But and this is the issue. Christians object to a great many more things than most non-Christians are even aware of. We think adultery is sin against God. We think misusing the name of God has, for instance, in, in profanity, or even in the more popular now, OMG, that this misuse of that which is sacred is indeed a sacrilege. We think abortion, pornography, greed, envy, theft, slavery, murder is sin. We even think boasting is sin. If you're not a Christian, you might be amazed at how many things that we think are sin against God and sins that deserve divine wrath. And so forgive me for wondering and being somewhat bewildered why the secular world seems to have picked homosexuality as the reason for our intolerance. But on the other hand, none of that's really new. Those of us Christians who know something of our own history will tell you that, that we're actually used to being called intolerant. The Roman historian Tacitus tells of how the Roman emperor Nero put Christians to death. Let me quote from Tacitus. Mockery of every sort was added to their death, he writes. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Nero offered his gardens for the spectacle as exhibiting a show in the circus. Now, what is it that Christians did to merit such treatment from the governor? Well, here it gets really interesting. You know, officially the charge was that they had set fire to Rome, causing great damage. Now, of course, it's most likely that Nero himself had set the city on fire and almost no one in Rome believed that the Christians were guilty. Yet no one seemed to complain a whole awful lot when Christians were being put to death in this way. Why is that? Well, let's get back to the Roman historian Tacitus. Tacitus says that they were not guilty of burning Rome, yet they were guilty of hatred of the human race. That is, they were guilty of hating the rest of the human race. Why is that? Because they rejected the gods of the Roman pantheon. But they did more. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 20. No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Now that sounds intolerant. Everyone has a story. Your own story is not just about your birth, but your new birth as well. Jesus has granted you a story of life and of eternal life. Dr. John Newfelt has a series entitled Your Salvation Story. In these five messages, he unpacks the theological and practical implications of our redemption in Jesus. This month, Back to the Bible Canada is offering a free CD copy of Your Salvation Story with a special booklet to help you reflect on your God-given grace. It'll help you to unpack and offer clarity on some of the misconceptions you may have about your own salvation. So to request your free CD series and reflection guide, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And don't hesitate, the reflection guide is available only as supplies last and more can be purchased for group use. There can be no doubt that Christians were intolerant of the Roman and Greek pantheon of the gods. They forbade Christians from worshiping them. They, they refused to participate in the cult of emperor worship. And as a result, they were called haters of the human race. And that brings us back to the present. 
is Christianity a form of intolerance? Now again, when someone asks, or more likely, when the accusation is made, it is important for believers not to be intimidated. See, there is no reason for us to be on our heels. We need to understand the concept of weaponized language. Weaponized language is language that is meant to frighten or meant to intimidate. It is intended to silence us or at least cause us to plead our case, such as the charge of intolerance. And sometimes I've seen Christians doing this. You know, they're going to say, well, the older form of tolerance meant that I'll strongly disagree with you, but I'll defend your right to say or believe or act in a way that I disagree with. That they're going to say is the true measure of tolerance. But today, the idea of tolerance has been hijacked. Today, we're called upon to agree with other forms of behavior, but at least, so this argument goes, if you already agree with someone's behavior, you don't need to tolerate them. You already agree with them. You know, as much as I might want to agree with that line of approach, we need to hear what some people actually mean by intolerance. For many, the accusation of intolerance means no more than narrow-mindedness or the refusal to celebrate with someone their unique lifestyle choices. And because Christians can't celebrate lifestyle choices they believe to be unbiblical, no matter how we plead, the charge will always remain the same. So here's what I'm saying. I am saying that we can never successfully defend ourselves against the charge of intolerance. I know that this series I am pursuing is a series on apologetics, that is, defense of the faith. Christians need to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, and we need to be able to do that with gentleness. And so, for my part, I do want tolerance. I want to be tolerated as a Christian. And so, since I'm called to love others as I love myself, I must then want it for them as well. But having said that, you'll not find a biblical argument for tolerance. That's because it's just not there. But what you will find is a biblical argument for love. Little stories in order. When the Nazis started their persecution against Jews, German Lutheran pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer argued that it was the duty of all confessing German Christians to do whatever they could to protect the Jews. He used Galatians 6 verse 10 as his central text. It says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There is, of course, a special obligation that Christians have to one another. The command to love your brother and sister in Christ is a mandate given from God. It deserves special consideration. But, said Bonhoeffer, by that, we are not absolved from our responsibility to the rest of the human race. When Jews were being taken away, the question of every faithful Christian could never be, do they confess Christ as Savior and Lord? No, no. The real question is, what has God demanded of me in such an hour? And the answer is we're to do good. For Corey Tenboom in Holland, it meant that her family was obligated by God to hide those who were being persecuted. We are to do good to everyone. God demands it of us. It's called love. Now let's take the matter one step further. What if the issue is not Jews being taken to death camps? What if the issue is not that we are called upon to protect the persecuted, but what if we are being persecuted? What then? Well, listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 43 to 45. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
You know, I've long thought this passage is filled with insight. You know, if we think about it, it would have been such a small thing for God to so arrange nature that the blessings of the earth should be hidden from the unjust and the cruel. But God in his infinite wisdom has so arranged nature that even the unjust among us should live under his blessing. The sun rises and blesses the persecutor. The rain falls and causes the persecutor's crops to flourish. You know, some of us are tempted to protest at this ordering of things. God is encouraging the persecutor to think that God is on his side. And in a strange way, I guess he is. He gives the persecutor time to repent. There is a day of judgment coming, of course, and the persecutor will find that he gets away with nothing. But in the present, God shows kindness to the man who deserves none. And that example is to be emulated by the people of God. We will not be the persecutor's judge. God will do that. However, in the present, witnessing the kindness of God mandates his people do the same. If God causes his son to rise on the evil man, then we are given the mandate to do the same. We must love our persecutors, and even if circumstances permit, we're called upon to bless their lives. But let's now take the matter one step further. Let's say it's not a matter of protecting the persecuted, nor of bearing up under persecution. What if the situation is such that, that we have power over those with whom we disagree? What if there are people who have a sexual ethic that's different from ours and we are in the position of power? What then should we do? I think the answer is found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, in all the writings of John, the world, well, that's defined as the culture of unredeemed and fallen and rebellious humanity. The world in John's writings consists of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And God is in the place of power. And God so loved this rebellious human race that he gave his one and only son that it might not perish but have eternal life. Now, by the way of analogy, God has absolute and complete power over this world. And as we've said, God will indeed in the end bring judgment upon this fallen world. But God, out of his perfections, showed love for a world gone awry and sent his son who died to make a free offer to anyone to come and be saved. And so what could we do if we Christians were in a position of power? Well, the answer from the Bible is that we should do no different than if we were not in the position of power. We should love and we should evangelize. And if people don't want to be evangelized, well, we should continue to evangelize in order to ensure that everyone had the opportunity to hear and to freely respond. And that's why love is so much different than tolerance. Let me try an example. I know it's going to be a bit controversial, but I offer it nonetheless. You know, you can work at the downtown Vancouver Needle Exchange and, and help drug-addicted, broken people get clean needles and safe drugs and then help as they inject poison into their veins that will eventually kill that person. And yeah, you're very tolerant of their lifestyle and, and of their lifestyle choices. But you're also profoundly unloving because what you approve and what you assist is in fact bringing about their ruin. But you are loving if you enter into the downtown and enter into the lives, the misery, and the hurt and the despair of people. And in that environment, you find a way to offer hope and life and a relationship with a God who is so much greater than they can imagine. You know, historically, people have responded in three ways to those with whom they have profound disagreements. One response is the response of power, even of persecution. The world is full of that. A second response is the response of tolerance, which in the end might look open-minded, 
but can be profoundly unconcerned with a person's well-being. It's the virtue of the secular liberal who's open to everything, even that which demeans and destroys the other. The biblical approach is love. Love never calls darkness light, but love never just curses the darkness either. Love becomes flesh. Love opens the door to friendship. Love shares the gospel. Love feeds the hungry. And so in answer to the question, is Christianity intolerant, we should learn to answer. I don't know what you mean by intolerant, but depending on your meaning, well, we might just be. But know this, if we're intolerant, we are of the most interesting variety of intolerant people you have ever met. For we refuse to be persecutors and insist on being love, even to the extent that to do so may cost us our very lives. The only answer to the charge of intolerance is sacrificial, life-giving love. It's the life of Jesus. It's the life that enters into the life of the other and draws the other close and offers friendship. That is our ultimate apologetic, for no man or woman has an answer to such love. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not spend our lives trying constantly to defend charges of which there is no defense. Help us rather to be like Christ. Help us to put on his garment and help us to incarnate our lives into the lives of others. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. John, thanks so much for today's message. You know, I think the whole issue of tolerance is something that's critical for us to understand today. You know, I think we misunderstand the whole definition of tolerance sometimes as Christians, and therefore we're sort of frightened with it. Yeah, we are frightened because we're so desperately trying to tell people that we're still loving. That was what I was trying to trying to say in this message. But I think we can talk about love as a very different virtue than, than tolerance. A person might tolerate evil, and that's not a virtue at all. So I, I think we should stop being intimidated by the, the concept or even the, the charge of intolerance. And we should continue to fight back by saying uh, love means that one cares for the whole person, their well-being, uh, as well as how they're doing today and in the future. Uh, so that's what makes the, the gospel so necessary. So I guess, Ben, um, we should stop being intimidated by the word and we should start being rather forthful and upright with what we actually believe. Thanks so much, John. And we'll continue this series tomorrow. So join us again right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. You may think that estate planning is only for the wealthy, but decisions about your home, family, your retirement, or even how you'd like to see your money used for ministry and for the kingdom. Well, that's important. Back to the Bible Canada has partnered with Advisors with Purpose to help you start and discuss those important decisions. Their trained estate specialists are available to meet you by phone and provide you with the information to make the best decisions possible for you and your family. As a result of our partnership, Advisors with Purpose has made their services free and confidential to you alone, leaving you free from any obligation. It's never too early to plan for your future, so call them today. To speak to an estate specialist today, call 1-866-336-3315. That's 1-866-336-3315 
or visit advisorswithpurpose.ca for your free and confidential consult.